When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My sort of go-to default PBTA game is Monster of the Week because it's easy as hell to play and run and I've run it as like 1890s Cthulhu style, I've run it as Dresden Files modern and that sort of thing and it, it, it worked fine but there still wasn't enough magic. I re- fondly remember Shadowrun Magic System where there was tons of stuff. Blake Ryan's contributions on DriveThruRPG fills 18 separate pages. He's made material for D&D, Pathfinder, Dungeon World, and other games. He right now has his Kickstarter running for his own game, Nexus Modern Sorcery. We sit down and talk through how the game started off as just an idea, why he made it powered by the apocalypse, and how he got it to a finished product ready for Kickstarter. Now stick around until the end when we talk about other games like Monster of the Week and Trophy. This podcast and the material we stream on YouTube and Twitch are only possible because of the support of patrons like our most recent members. Special thanks to Michael Underwood, William Usel, Robert Sabbath, Justin Whitman, John A. Snowberger, Mad Quacker, Zagrave, Nick Louie, and Sludgeant. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Blake. Love to unplug and play games around the table. Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to the designer behind Nexus, Modern Sorcery, Blake Ryan. Blake, welcome to the third floor. G'day. Um, yeah, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So, um, Blake, I suspect you probably know the first question that's going to come out of my mouth. Uh, every time we have someone new on the show, I always like to figure out their uh, gaming origin story. So at what point did you find and discover tabletop gaming? Okay. Uh, it was the July 15th, 1989. Uh, oh, that's very specific. Uh, a friend from school said, you know, come and try out this game. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, sounds a bit odd, but, I'll, you know, I'll give it a go. And that was um, second edition AD&D. Nice. Uh, we, we changed sort of every couple of months. We changed to like Role Master and then we changed to Space Master and Champions and just popped around a few games whenever they got bored, basically. So every six to eight weeks, yeah, new game. Now, was, I mean, it sounds like you had a little bit of uh, system AD, uh ADHD at the time. Looking back on it, though, Blake, is there any game do you think had a, a really big impact on you uh, during that span? Um, I mean, we, we mostly played Second Edition AD and D, but I was sort of getting catalogs from the next state over, 
and I would buy books and I'm sort of reading the books and seeing the difference between them. So it's like, oh, you know, these like RuneQuest and Han are very different to AD&D Second Edition. And it's not that either are bad. It's just, whoa, this is a very different feel. And just reading, because I was one of those silly people that actually read the books. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, this is a very different game. And it's like, it's cool. It was good to see what was out there. So, um, you start getting older, right? More and more games come out. We see more and more innovations in design. Um, is there another kind of benchmark for you or uh, when a signpost popped up and that you knew things had really changed and you latched onto something different? I mean, we played sort of D&D and, and Shadowrun. I mean, while Shadowrun's modern, you've got firearms and cyberware and the Matrix and all of that. We kind of played it the same. It was murder hoboism, charge in, kick the door down. The recon becomes the main attack, you know, grab all the loot. And, you know, we weren't playing smart and you shouldn't play Shadowrun or D&D like that, but we did. <laughs> right. But then we started reading these World of Darkness books and it was like record scratch moment. It was like... Rrr wait, this isn't about your meta role on the team. This isn't about, you know, what you can do on the job. This is about, you know, these characters are about how they interact with the world, how they perceive the world works and how they, what sort of social groups are in. So like, oh, wow. And just that point on, we really played. I mean, some people would say it's a mature level because these are mature games, but it was just a very different level, more nuanced characters and rather than just, I'm here to kill stuff. <laughs> um. Was there a particular flavor of World of Darkness that you that you guys grabbed it to, or did you like all of them? Um, we we <laughs> we played Mage, but I mean our storyteller was baked. He was having a, a joint every half an hour. He's off his face. So you know, every episode is a Krynos form werewolf rocks up and beats a tar out of us. I mean, like it wasn't a good example of Mage, but we read the <laughs> you know we read the books enough to know oh th this is very different. This is good. So we kind of tried out Mage and uh, yeah, a few other games. <laughs> when did you transition, or when when was the beginning, Blake, where you said you know not only am I going to play these games, not only am I going to run these games, but when you started saying I want to create and uh, maybe create more than just at my own table. Hmm. When did that bug first bite you? I think, uh, I mean, at one point we had a group of like five gems and we'd all take turns playing five different games, which is, sounds like a great idea in principle, but some people aren't that organized and they rock up with no preparation and, you know, it's just a dog's breakfast. <laughs> they don't really put the effort in and then they use any excuse to can the game and you end up running out of their game for them anyway. <laughs> so, um, so we did that for a few years and it's like, let's just do Shadowrun and D&D &D or whatever. And then I was homebrewing my world, like my own sort of homebrew world. And I tried it with Palladium and Rollmaster and D&D. &D, and it just, it sort of worked, but it was like takeaway. You, you still felt like, eh, I can have better than this. You know, it filled a hole, but it wasn't, wasn't great. And I thought, well, let, let, you know, let's look at the player's handbook. And it's like, these are all bipedal mammals this is rubbish because I've got a biology background and I love David Attenborough's stuff. And you look at the variety of nature, why are the, the core races, you know, bipedal mammals? This is lazy and boring. You know, let's make, I mean, Star Trek's just as bad. They're all bipedal mammals sure. with a faceless sort of thing. So I was like, no, no, let's, let's do, let's have drider PCs and let's have Cyclops PCs that lay eggs or whatever it is, you know, just, so I thought, well, I'm going to do my own homebrew world 
and make my own, you know, species, races, whatever, make it different because that way I can control what they are rather than it's not some addition to Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. Um, yeah, and I just started sort of documenting it and, you know, I wanted it to look nice and I'd share it around and that. And and then I thought, yeah, I, I published some of that stuff on drive-through, but, you know, it's a D&D supplement. It's it's floating in the vast sea of other D&D supplements, so, you know, and it's not a comment on whether it's good or bad. There's just so much of it. It's hard for people to take notice to your awesome world. Was there any feedback that you got on some of those supplements that you put out there that, uh, you know, either annoyed you or excited you? <laughs> Feedback's a funny thing because you can have 100 people download and only one person comments. And then just yeah. like, I like this thing. And you're like, cool what about the other 250 pages you know? <laughs> so it's like thanks for letting me know that's cool but yeah just yeah the, the people are like you know they're obvious it was obvious i was looking at because like dnd is a subgenre of the bigger genre of fantasy and i was aiming more raw regular fantasy more like you know conan lank Mar sword and sorcery stuff and I was aiming more that than trying to fit in with the D and D subgenre thing. And people are, well, you know, some people like that, some people won't, and and fair enough. There's a game for everybody. And yep. I wasn't aiming for mainstream D and D, so I guess that does. Yeah, and I um for those of you listening, you've heard me talk about this before. Take some time to give feedback. Take some time to comment on your drive-through purchases and to rate your podcast and leave a comment on your YouTube videos. Uh, it's it is I like my I felt it in my bones when Blake said, you know, it would download you know hundreds of times and you only hear one comment. Um, I don't I don't think people realize Blake just how much impact uh, that that type of feedback loop can have. Yeah, I mean I've I've sold like 1500 books as i mean i've only got like 15 available but there's been 1500 downloads and i've had five comments so it just shows you how often people don't yep. just don't take the time to do it so it's like oh. but apparently that's quite common because i've talked to other people with way more sales and they're like yep that's standard <laughs> <laughs> so guys the insider insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers developers artists writers and creators and learn how they approach their work i try to understand their process inspiration and methods for crafting their creation and that's what we're going to do with blake today so blake i want to start by talking about nexus modern sorcery um, now, the little blib that I found on it, just to paraphrase, is Nexus Modern Sorcery is a game about sorcerers. They are humans who can perform wondrous things with magic and explore hidden worlds. It's modern, supernatural RPG using power by the apocalypse. So um, I want to start with the first spark, Blake. So at some point, no concept of a modern sorcery game existed in your brain. And then some something started to itch. And I'd be wondering if you remember when the like the first seeds of the idea started to grow. Um, let's have a look. Well, I, I my sort of go to default PBTA game is Monster of the Week because it's easy as hell to play and run. And I've run it as like 1890s Cthulhu style. I run it as Dresden Files, modern and that sort of thing. And it, it, it worked fine, but there still wasn't enough magic. I re fondly remember Shadowrun Magic System where there was tons of stuff. Once you can get your head around the crunch, there's a lot of directions you can go with the style of magic you want. And that's sort of what I wanted, but still in a PBTA game. 
And so while I was enjoying those games, I was kind of making notes like, you know, this game can do this and this, but it can't do X, Y, and Z. So it's like, hmm, what else is out there? And But I, I still wanted the, the PBTA because... I love the when you whether you succeed or whether you get a partial success. There's you know a range of options for here's some suggestions that are within the tone and style of the game, which doesn't exist in some other games. So I still wanted right. that that list there for each of the moves. And I'm just like, hmm, Monster of the Week was kind of halfway there, but it's like, no, I need something a bit more. But yeah, that's when it started. So that was four years ago, I guess. So Blake, was it? I mean, was it you? missing shadow run and wanting to do that because this isn't nexus modern sorcery is not shadow run it, it's no, different no. so like where did the world come from where why i mean you could have made a lot of games right but you picked a very specific kind of subgenre um that's not you know something we see very often from a time period standpoint and you know how that all works so uh, can you give me a sense of why this is where you gravitated towards um it was, and it's kind of like making a stew. It's not just meat and one vegetable. It's six vegetables and noodles or rice or pasta and meat sort of thing. There's a lot of things I wanted. And part of it was the Stargate of we go through the gate and there's another world. And, you know, there's yep. obviously Earth parallels there. There's light and gravity and solid ground and all that. But in many other ways, the world's different. So, you know, the best sort of stories in role-playing or TV series you have ongoing recurring locations and ongoing NPCs. So I thought, if they're going to go to another world and they need to be able to go back and come back to it. So it's not, there's a hundred worlds. It's just like, no, let's just start with two. And then if people want to add more, then they can. Gives them some familiar traits. And yeah, so I just sort of, I wanted it to be other world, but not you visit once and then that's it. Because I wanted an ongoing game, but also familiar enough to go back to several times. And you might have a house and job on both or family on both, depending on what sort of character you have. <laughs> and so what, so you said, you know, I like the monster of the week. Um, you like the style and some of the mechanical, uh, the structure of yep. PBTA. Was it always going to be PBTA in your mind? Was that pretty much a commitment you made at the beginning? No, I had a few in mind and I did look at some other ones um, that were cooperative, like the, the trophy system, is very cooperative in terms of with because it has Devil's Bargain similar to uh, Blades in the Dark, which is great. But it's like I didn't really want that in a magic system. I wanted a bit more structure of here's the sort of magic I had in mind. So it's like eh, I, I like trophies, one of my favorite games, but I'm like I can't use that for this. This is not. So I sort of looked at that. I looked at Basic, which is like the the percentage system for Call of Cthulhu, and it's like hmm. Again, it doesn't really cater to magical abilities. It's just really dangerous spells or skills. And it's like, no, I need something yep. sort of in between. So, it's, yeah, I did look at a few other things. And, yeah, I definitely wanted something with the mid-range yes, but results because I've, for me, it's the most interesting stories. So when was the first time this game was allowed out of your brain? At what point did somebody else play the first version of Nexus? Um, yeah, I did some playtesting late last year um, because on the last couple of years I've been a house dad, which is, you know, I've got a lot of time sitting at home on the computer, so I've done a lot of work in a short amount of time because it's like, well, sure. my son's at school for six hours, I can just dump my brain into this and then sort of polish it up later. So, yeah, I did some playtests late last year as well as early this year. 
But, um, oh, wow. Like, the first playtest was two hours, and they gave me enough feedback to give me two weeks' work. No kidding. And it's just, you know, and, and that's in no way ungrateful. It was wonderful, but it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff because it was there's a big kind of information dump at the start. Imagine you go to a restaurant and they put your appetizer and your dessert on the mains plate. It's like too much. There was too much here. You need to divide it up and have like a progress of where it goes to. And again, Blades in the Dark comes up because one of the players said, look, you need to like pick a crew, have something like a crew sheet, and that'll help the rest of the choices from that point on. And I'm like, yep, yep, I see where you're going now. We call it a cabal in my game, but yeah, once you choose your cabal style, then the rest of it sort of goes from there. And it was, wasn't that there was anything bad, it's just that the structure and the flow of how you present the information and how you deal with the information as a player needed to be completely reorganized. <laughs> so that, yeah, the, the playstation was really useful. So as you're going through that iteration process, you're making some changes, you come and bring it back to the table, you have, you know, you know, and then they give you feedback and you're sorting through that feedback, deciding what you're going to listen to and what really doesn't um, isn't going to impact the game itself. Um, Is there you you mentioned the uh, the cabal, but is there any other things in that iteration process that you consider like a, a big step up where, you know, it didn't exist and then you added it or maybe even removed it and it had a real impact on what the final product was? Um, there is um, a style of magic in there with like to do with the zodiacs or astrology. And you, there's like items involved. And if you do, like if you're Leo and you do a ritual on the month of, in the season of Leo, then you get a bonus to it and that sort of stuff. Now, some people are into that, but some people are not. So it is optional, basically. You can go, you know, if you want to have this stuff involved in your campaign, here's the six ways you can link it in. If you don't, don't. I'm not your dad. Play your game how you want, you know, because, <laughs> you know, there's no gaming police are going to kick your door down. So it's just, you know, presenting some things as this is built in and some things are optional. Like there's a bunch of um, optional rules for anime. If you want to make a more animal, sorry, anime style of you can can all do martial arts and you can all leap six meters high in the air while you're yelling out the name of your girlfriend or whatever it is, you know. (laughs) But again, they're optional. It's up to you to flavor the game how you want. So um, I I keep hearing a lot, Blake, that... um you know, the beginning part's easy where you've got the idea, you're super jazzed up about it. You know, you're going through some iterations. You don't put it in front of anybody. So everything's in play, you know, and that, uh, you know, the, the iteration and the uh, play testing is still fun because, um, you know, again, you're making changes and stuff like that. But what I keep hearing is that it, it, it's finishing and getting it out there. That's that can be the hardest part. Did you find that like the last 20 percent of the journey tough or was it relatively uh, just the same pace-wise for you? No, that wasn't too hard. It was more like I, I did a print order to see what a test print was like, and that was like a four-week turnaround. So I'm like, well, now I know how long that takes and that I've got to fix a bunch of stuff. I can schedule, you know, when I'm going to start the Kickstarter, when I'm going to get the last bit of play testing. And, yeah, once once you sort of have a timeline and you just sort of sit down and work that out, then you're, you're good to go. I didn't find any any of it particularly hard. There's just a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to do. So you have a lot of to-do lists and keep checking on everything because, uh, yeah, I didn't want to go to the Kickstarter with not having anything ready. I wanted to at least have the core book ready and then go from there. 
how's the process of getting ready for that Kickstarter going? Has that been a brave new world for you? Have you had a chance to, what are you doing as far as learning about the process? Do you have people that you're, you know, depend that you're, you know, consulting with? Um, I, yeah, because this is my second Kickstarter. I did one um, like two years ago for Seasons of Dreams. Oh, okay. That kicked off like right before COVID. <laughs> so it's... Um, <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, yeah, heaps. But, um, you know, it, I mean, I, I didn't expect... It, it's a PBTA game. I did not expect to take the RPG world by storm. I wasn't expecting 25,000 backers or anything stupid like that. So, right. No, you know, be realistic. It's just a small Kickstarter. I'm, you know, I'm not in the States. So I can't do the, the, the contour and meet all the designers and all that. So I knew it was going to be lower key and I, I set my funding goal accordingly, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it's just talking in discords and Twitter and just chatting people. Hey, I was thinking about doing this for my Kickstarter. What do you think? You know, and I say, hmm, I, w- I would tweak that and, you know, have a... Uh, and one of the things I said, because I was like, should I just make it digital? And everyone's like, no, no. Two-thirds yeah. of our sales, we want a hard book for some reason i don't understand it but that's what people want so okay i went through the i'm that guy yeah i'm that guy i have to have the book yeah so i I wish i I would save so much more money if i would would just do digital (laughs) but i have to have the damn book i got affinity publisher and i went through the the steps of making a something that can produce a physical copy uh there's a lot of learning there because i hadn't done it before and previously i just used ms publisher which is but um yeah it's it's been a learning journey but a fun one. I bet. What, and what what did you from the first time you did a Kickstarter to the second time? What was the biggest? What were the biggest things you changed? Um, so what did you learn between first and second? Um, the the on the first one I had like let's have a tier where it's collaborative. We can all chuck in ideas and we all share the book sort of thing. And people were just too busy. No one go back to me. So it's like all right, yeah. obviously it's a nice idea, but. It, it doesn't follow through sort of thing. So, and the first one also didn't have a hard copy. It was just digital. Whereas this one's like, okay, I'm going to have a hard copy. That's fine. And, um, yeah, obviously I've got a lot more interest because of that. It is, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's sure. already paid off. So, that's great. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk to Blake a little bit more about a couple of the games that he's already brought up. I want to talk to him about Monster of the Week uh, because I know he's a huge fan of it and he has played uh, probably his share of games and your share of games of uh, Monster of the Week. And he also mentioned Trophy, which is a game that's been on my radar lately, um, having talking uh, talked to Mr. Cordova um, uh, recently. So I want to I want to find out what he thinks of Trophy. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, friends. And welcome to the Writer's Room, where you can find all sorts of adventures, antics, and escapades for the 7th C TTRPG. I'm Zoe Jackson. I'm Evan Ackley. And I am Patrick Keefe. And we are here to tell you the stories of 7th C. If you enjoy actual play podcasts featuring adventure, drama, and swashbuckling heroism, 
using music and dynamic sound effects, then you've come to the right place. Not only do we bring you stories from our 7th C gameplay, we also discuss the mechanics of the game in special episodes called Notes with the Narrator. To learn more, our Linktree link will be in the bio, and that will help you find us on your favorite podcatcher, as well as support us through our many different platforms. Won't you join us? So Blake and I have been like Twitter buddies for a while now. And um, I think that's really where, you know, you and I first connected. And, and um, you know, I, I get to learn, you know, through that medium, I guess, you know, kind of the stuff you dig and, you know, whatnot. And there's there's um, there's thoughts that you've shared and games that you've shared. I'm like, I, I kind of dig, you know, I kind of dig what he's uh, I'm smoking when he's grown, as I like to say. Um, so I want to I want to start with Monster of the Week, because I know that that's uh, an important game for you. Um, let's start off with why you think you jam with that game so hard. Um, I mean, I, I'm quite fond of the, a lot of the Supernatural series like, you know, Buffy and X-Files and The Grimm and Supernatural itself. And if you've ever seen a couple of episodes of that, you can play Monster of the Week. You, you know how these stories go. It, it's so easy and so much in public consciousness of how to get into this game and how to run it. It's like, eh. Because you can read the moves and like, oh, I can think of it when they did this on this episode and when they did this one on this episode. It's Yeah, it's so easy to get into. It's not, what is this weird arcane stuff from 1820? Nah. <laughs> now, have you ever been responsible for being someone's first play of uh, Monster of the Week? Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. And and how's that gone? How do, how do people take it, both experienced and inexperienced gamers? Yeah, no, they, they liked it. Uh, I mean, I onboarded some people for Dungeon World as well. And yeah, in both, oh, nice. ca- in both cases, uh, they really enjoyed it. They're like, this this flowed so quickly compared to the more traditional games where they're slogging through an initiative and stuff like that. But yeah, no, they, they all enjoyed it. I, I think I've only had a couple of PBTA games that didn't sort of gel. And that was because they wanted to play a different game. And I didn't know how to run that game. So I can't sort of modify the game or I was running to that one because I'm like, I can't do that because I don't know enough about it. I can't offer the service you, you know, they wanted. But every other one, everyone's been really happy. So, Are there any PBTA games that um, that you didn't click with? Um, as a player, not really. No, there's, there's some I um, haven't got around to playing yet, but that's just time and day. Everyone's logistics and, you know, scheduling went to hell thanks to COVID. So, yeah. What are are some you're hoping to get played here pretty soon? Um, Probably Night Witches, where you're, you know, female Russian pilots in World War II, because it's so different to everything else. So let's try a different thing. Um, What else is there? I haven't actually played Blades in the Dark yet. While it's not technically PBDA, it's, you know, the, the spirit's there. Yeah, it's a cousin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I've read the book and I loved it. And I think you could just grab out that suburb and use it for Shadowrun or Monster of the Week or whatever. It's so well presented. But the mechanics didn't gel in my head. I think I'd have to play it to have an informed opinion of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a surprisingly mechanical game. Like you read it the first time and you're like, well, you know, very rules like kind of feel to it, especially if you're coming from a more traditional game. Um, but it, it, and this is everybody already knows I love the game. Um, 
it, it's it is very um, it, I, the the description I use with people it's it, it's clockwork. It's a very clockwork game where yeah, everything yeah. kind of works with each other, and there's a couple different subsystems. Um, and it's always interesting with a uh, Force in the Dark games to see who who keeps what they keep and what they add, and and so on and so forth. But when I listen to well, I watch I watch a lot of AP full stop, but I have seen a few Blades in the Dark one, and it reminded me of Shadowrun, and just in terms of what the, the heroes are doing most of the time. Like, oh, geez, that reminds me of Shadowrun, but with a less generic magic, a more supernatural, edgy <laughs> feel, yeah, which yep, is good. No question. So when did Trophy come on your radar? Um, yeah, I've been playing and running games with the Gauntlet for ooh, five years now, and that sort of cropped up about three years ago, uh, both Trophy Dark, which is the, the horror, you know, things are going to end badly one, and Trophy Gold, which is the more standard fantasy uh, one. And yeah, I, I ran a few things, but I've mostly just played it, and it's, it, it's good. I just because I, as a player, I always think of ideas. So every time there's like anyone got a devil's bargain, I've got ideas, and and I'm like I don't want to dominate the spotlight though. So every now and then I'll just say no, I don't because I've got them. I just don't want to dominate. And I thought no, I'll let someone else have a go, you know. But yeah, I just love the cooperative nature of that. And your mind, what makes it what makes it unique, right? So why would I uh, why would I want to play trophy? Um, uh, what, what is it that you think you can't get anywhere else or something that's, that, that's truly unique about it? Yeah, well, there's only a few rules, so it's easy to learn. It's indie, so it's way cheaper than the traditional games, full stop. <laughs> um, but it's it, all the people, you know, when they're writing the incursions or the adventures, if you want to call them that, it's, there's a very specific tone and style they're going for. So none of them feel generic the same corridors or the same rooms or everything everything is like no we went from one which was like a rural farm setting to inside a giant sea serpent and it was just you just couldn't get more different and we barely made it out of both <laughs> but it was great you know now have you um have you had a chance to play brindlewood bray uh not brindlewood i've played it's um, Elvira-like sister, I guess you'd call it the Between. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and what, what, what did you think of the Between? I, I loved it. I've played twenty sessions of it at this point. Yeah, it, it's good. If you like like Hemlock Grove or Penny Dreadful TV shows, you'll like it because it's dark, a little bit sensual, but mostly just dark horror. And it's you know there's this you know oh I walked into a room and there's a bunch of people with their skins ripped off and that it is not for kids. <laughs> It, it is it, it is what we would call R-rated here in Australia. But So as somebody who consumes a lot of this stuff um, and has an avarice for it like I do, um, what are you excited about as far as where we are right now in the hobby and where you think we're headed? Um, I mean... I mean, yeah, the market is a bit saturated, but it is good of how easy it is to get stuff. Because I remember, you know, back when I was ordering stuff from Interstate, there was only like 30 games in the catalogue. Now there's thousands. Itch, you know, you go to itch, it's like a fire hose. There's just spraying games everywhere. And yeah, it's, it's so easy to get stuff, even if you just want to do like a quick start. Although some of the quick starts are huge. They're like 50, 70 pages. And you're like, this isn't quick. <laughs> we need to talk about quick. <laughs> but, um, it might be a start. But <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's free. So, it's, you know. But um, 
that was one of the tips I got from my game actually. They said, you know, make the the, the sample the, the quick start killer because that's what gets you know people interested in remembering your game. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it is like a brochure, and, and that makes sense. Um, I forgot your question now. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. So, like, so where, what, what do you love about where we are now with the hobby, and what are you, what are you excited about as far as directionally where things are going? Um, I like that people are trying different games. I mean, you look at social media, and it's geared towards oh, it's always us and them. It's D and D or not, and it, it's just most game groups aren't like that. Most of us are playing multiple games, either you know weekly or monthly or whatever it is. And, and that's good, you know, because even if, you know, D&D or whatever it is is your main game and you once a month go to a con and play something completely different, you still play D&D better when you get back. You still run it differently because you think about how things work together, both in the setting and in the rules. So, yeah, it, it, it's good that there is interaction of different games and evolutions of games. Like, PBTA has kind of gone to... I can't remember what it's called, but and the other then the other direction is Forged in the Dark, which is more mechanical, and you know they're both similar but different to each other, and all three of them are different from D and D, but similar as well. So you know you've got, uh, and that's good that there's people are trying stretching in different directions. This is more cooperative, or this is more miniatures based, or this is more magic based, or whatever. Belonging outside belonging—that's what I was thinking of. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, so. Right now, Blake, is there anything that you find frustrating about the role-playing game scene, uh, the RPG hobby, um, or, or are you pretty happy with where things are? Or if you could change one thing about, you know, whether it be the community or the, uh, the direction of design, uh, is there anything out there that you'd love to wave a wand and make go away? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> but um, I think there doesn't seem to be like a centralized database. So, you know, if you see a series on Netflix and it says crime supernatural, if you put the words crime supernatural into drive through or Kickstarter or whatever, you're going to get fairly mixed results and it's not going to be all the games available. It's going to be like 20% sort of thing there isn't a centralized database and that's not good for people looking to change direction or new to the hobby and yeah i wish that wasn't the case well it would help the exploration right it would help you know like yeah i really like the in between and you know what what else is like that either mechanically or genre or whatever and it would be a neat it'd be neat to be able to go down those paths yeah yeah well when i was looking at urban fantasy i found 36 games that are sort of well known but if I went, if I spent like a week plowing through itch, I could probably find three times that, you know, because there's so many and there's so much overlap. But you can't say, oh, just don't make indie games. The people don't know not to make a game because they can't find what's there sort yeah. of thing. And their game may actually be better anyway. <laughs> so, But we won't know that. And other people won't know that if they can't find it. So, yeah, there's a allocation sort of anomaly there that needs to be fixed. Sure. So, Blake, um, for those listening, if they um, if you've piqued their interest and they want to get their hands on Nexus, either the quick start or the full game, where's the best place for them to go? Um, just well, drive through, although the game itself is on Kickstarter at the minute, which has a, a link to the quick start because like 50 people have downloaded the quick start since the kickstart's been going because obviously they're going, oh, I'm not sure about this. Oh, look, there's a quick start. Bang. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's working. <laughs> 
Good, good, good. But uh, so for people that, you know, obviously are listening to this in time to catch the Kickstarter and everybody knows you can scroll down right now and get the link to that. But uh, otherwise, the digital is currently available on drive through um, so they can grab grab that. Now, is there going to be changes to the game between now and fulfillment of the Kickstarter or is this thing baked? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's pretty much baked unless a bunch of people say, eh. You've stuffed up this thing here, which I'm, you know, about twenty people have looked at it by now and said, no, no, this is, you know, it's it's fine. Oh, that's good, that's good. And if they, um, obviously, I'm going to link to the Twitter, your Twitter. Uh, I've got that link there. But uh, is there any other place people should go if they want to get a little bit more Blake Ryan? Um, you can usually just yeah find me on Twitter at Flying Fox three six nine. It's easy enough to find me. I'm there all day, every day. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's great. Well, Blake, um, you are you are literally on the other side of the planet, and I appreciate you getting up early to talk to me and uh, taking the time. So good. All right, and for those of you who listened all the way to the end, I appreciate you too. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.